This is SG2 Perspectives, a conversation with SG2 experts and industry thought leaders about the biggest trends in healthcare and what we expect that's going to mean for the future of healthcare delivery. We're always looking for new ideas and topics from our listeners, so please reach out, share your ideas. You can email us at sg2perspectives at sg2.com or connect with us on LinkedIn or Twitter, and you can find links to all that in the show notes. Now, on to this week's episode. We're in a people business. We care for people through people. And the question that people ought to be asking themselves, or companies ought to be asking themselves, do you have employees or do you have a team? Welcome to SG2 Perspectives. I'm your host, Trevor Durin, and Bill Woodson's joining me as a co-host because we have such an exciting guest. We asked Terry Shaw, president and CEO of Advent Health, to join us for an interview about new emerging priorities as the COVID winter surge recedes and vaccines start to make an impact. We're not saying COVID's done being a problem, and we know that there's even some troubling patterns emerging now, but we wanted to hear from a leading health system CEO about how they're thinking about and evaluating opportunities, potentially some new emerging challenges, and mostly how they're planning for future growth. Terry and Advent Health are such an ideal candidate for this conversation because they serve such a diverse set of markets with 50 hospitals across nine states, their biggest footprint in Florida, a state that's faced both big COVID surges, plenty of national corresponding news stories. And at the same time, it's a place where so many big growing venture-backed disruptors are viewing as their number one growth market. So I think the competition in Florida isn't going to cool down at all in the coming years. Bill, you want to kick us off? Yeah, thanks a lot, Trevor. And thanks, Terry. Let's jump right in. I don't know what the right metaphor is to use. In your internal discussions right now with leadership, with the board, you talk about having rounded the corner, light at the end of the tunnel. Is it different across the markets that you serve? What's the current state of the state? We do talk about rounding the corner. We're watching national trends. Our last big uptick was in January, along with a lot of everybody else. But we were on divert for about three straight weeks in January, which is really rough on a healthcare system. Starting and stopping a system, as you know, when you have COVID up and down, is just a hard process. And we're looking forward to a new normal, meaning those that have had it with those that are getting a vaccine, we're looking for a time period where we recognize that the incidence of the disease will always be somewhere with us, but not near to the magnitude that we've had for the past year and a half. Are you able now to live in multiple time frames? I mean, you still have to address the here and now, but you're playing out not only the rest of this year, but several years out. We are. As we're looking at our new normal, we're looking at what is the future role for digital health? What is the future role for our emergency department? What are we going to do when it takes, as you specifically look at Florida, senior care? You mentioned people are coming to Florida, people are retiring to Florida, and because of that, there are many businesses wanting to come to Florida and compete for the 65-plus category. Our board's having dialogue with us about how are your consumer strategies performing. As we pivot to the next five years, what does the face of our business look like, and where are we going to play in that business? The pandemics accelerated our thinking in a lot of various areas. In the middle of the fight, my coach called me and said, hey, are you still in the fight? And I said, of course I'm in the fight. He goes, yeah, yeah. Think about pulling you and your senior team aside for a straight week. Think about what you're seeing. Think about how it's impacting your organization, what you could do better because of it. And then think about the marketplace. What can you accelerate during COVID that's going to benefit you when COVID's done? I said, wow, what a great idea. So we did that. And we're bringing up this month 
our senior care clinics in our organization. It's taken us nine months to pull it apart and put it back together. We're also bringing up healthcare at home and we've hardened our digital health platform. When you think about it, it is an asset light strategy to take Advent Health basically in a place you want to take it, especially across the South where so many people over 65 are moving. Great. Trevor and I heard some things you said previously about your vision 2030. It was ready to go last year. Is it in play now? How has it evolved? Do you have more priorities, fewer priorities, different priorities? So our vision 2030 is still in play. We were ready to roll it out right before COVID. And we took aspects out of vision 2030 that we could accelerate during COVID. And we've done so. And we have officially rolled that out this spring. So several priorities, grow the depth and the breadth of our network in every market that we're in. Two, make for sure that we're thinking creatively about physician partnerships. You can't possibly own every physician that's in the marketplace, nor should you try to. So developing new models with physicians is something we're doing a lot of right now. And I'll give you an example, the Bond Clinic in Polk County, we have a new venture with. The Rothman Orthopedic Institute out of Pennsylvania, We have a new venture that we're working on with them for Central Florida. And I've got multiple others in the discussion phase. Some are in the negotiating phase that I can't talk about. But our thinking about networks have changed a lot in the past year. And lining ourselves up with large physician groups is something that's always been important, but it's something we're accelerating at this juncture. We're also expanding our risk-taking capabilities. We have 450,000 lives in some type of a risk-based arrangement. Most of that is not in the MA space. When you take a look at the South for the next 15 years, the MA space is going to explode and we're going to have to be in that space. What about your planning and strategy development process? One of the takeaways that we've heard C-suite teams say they really want to keep is the ability to make decisions faster. Did reworking these priorities allow you to build kind of a new strategy development process? What we learned about Advent Health is that if we choose to do something quickly, we can. And the learnings out of that process means that you have to go from sequential processing to parallel processing. And that means in that new structure, your team has to trust your teammates at a higher level than you did before. And COVID has taught us that that's very possible. And since it was possible during COVID, why can't that be possible for other business-related items? We have started the work and we have been successful in the work of parallel processing with some of the things that we're trying to accelerate across our organization. But truthfully, we had to look ourselves in the eyes and say, hmm, think about what just happened. We went from very sequential thinking to very parallel thinking and it's working and it's working very well. Now, how can we intentionally apply that to the things that we need to bring to the market the fastest so that we are able to better meet the demands of the consumer that we're caring for. I think it's an exciting pivot and change that's going to allow many hospitals to really rework the way they develop strategy. With that in mind, what are some of the goals for 2021? What are the top priorities for this summer? And then what are some of the things that are going to be priorities for the next six to nine months? One of the things that we're still trying to do is to think about what the new economic normal is. If you followed Advent Health, previous to COVID, we were in a 13% EBITDA margin range for 15 straight years. That's one of the hallmarks of the organization. And last year it was 11.7. Now listen, I'm not crying about that. Without CARES money 
And without a lot of hard work from the team, it wouldn't have been 11-7. And so I'm thankful for the blessings that we've had. This year, we've budgeted 11. And I can just tell you that our future looks much different at 11 than it does at 13. And one of the things that we're sorting through in the next nine months is what is the new financial reality? Is it going to radically change or isn't it? And what do we have to do to go back to the normal 13 that we're used to having? I'm going to change gears now. One of the benefits of having a strong clinical team is that for the past four years, they have been leaning into becoming leapfrog A across the system, CMS four and five star across the system, making for sure that our observed versus expected mortality rates are better than expected. And the news that we're going to have coming out very soon puts Advent Health in the top quartile at a minimum, probably the top decile as it relates to CMS star ratings, leapfrog grades, as across our system, we compare in the marketplace. I'm very, very thankful for the work our clinical team has done. And I'm looking to have that work continue as we now apply that down into some of our top diagnoses across our system and begin to unpack how we are caring for those that we do across 10 states and make for sure that we're bringing the same high quality care to every person across every one of our top diagnoses. Terry, you've mentioned trusting your teammates. You've just mentioned the clinical team. Could you go a little more broad on the workforce overall? Some things that you may have done to support the workforce in the last year and things you're concerned about. And we certainly hear a lot about burnout and resilience and diversity. How did you support the team and and what are you going to do moving forward? We're in a people business. We care for people through people. And the question that people ought to be asking themselves, or companies ought to be asking themselves, do you have employees or do you have a team? Because if you think about everybody in your downline as a part of your team, you're going to think about it differently than if they're just employees. So we have a big work stream called Team Member Promises. We started that actually a year before COVID hit. And we've continued it during COVID. And now we're thinking about what our next two-year iteration of that is. During COVID, we did the same thing everybody did. Hotel rooms for people that were impacted. Think about daycare and schools shutting down across the nation. How do you get a single parent to the office to work when they have no place for their children? We had 15,000 people at home at one juncture. That's still 11,000 working from home. How we work had to totally change. And during the slow times, March, April, and May of last year, we didn't let one person go. We kept everybody on. The truth is we lost $700 million doing that. Then we made up a big chunk of that in the back half of the year. But we made a decision that our team was our team and we wanted to keep our team together. So we did. And by the way, I'm thankful we did. Our surge didn't happen in the time period New York did. Our surge happened in July and August. I can't imagine what it would have been like if we'd have said, okay, for the next two months, we only need half of the clinical team, and then we'll call you back when we really need you. It just doesn't work. And so we kept the team. We redeployed people. Our HR and IT systems got together. They programmed and put out an app for redeployment. We had people working supply chain that had never worked supply chain before. We have people working all kinds of different places in our company. They had never worked before, but they were working. They were taking care of their families. And then when COVID hit Florida, the team had been cared for and we were able to care for our communities. I'm worried about burnout. Let's talk about that. The depth and breadth of disease and death that our clinical team has had to deal with, along with every other clinical team in this country, is nothing that you could have described that we would have understood before we went into COVID. 
and the mental anguish of coming to work, having to care for sick people, and then getting to go to the store or someplace else where people weren't really clear this was real is emotionally trying. You do that for month after month after month. And after about a year, even for me in February of this year, I told my team, listen, I recognize that I myself need some time away from the fight. I'm going to take some time away. And by the way, you need to do the same. And down to the clinician that's on the floor, we need to make for sure everybody is getting some downtime because I think we'll probably have more surge before this is over. And then quite frankly, in every market, there's a pent up demand for services that haven't been provided. I believe the healthcare sector is going to be amazingly busy in the back half of 21 and all of 22, catching up on all the care that's been put off by so many people while they have allowed COVID to take front and center stage. You brought up the idea of a remote workforce. Do you think that stays? Are we going to have that moving forward? And I was on one discussion with a CEO and he said, well, the good news is we've kind of made it work so far. The bad news is we really don't know how to manage that way. We have a lot to learn. How are you guys going to play this out? It depends on who you are and what you think about this. I'm a fan of the systems that our IT and our HR structure has put into place to keep the company running and moving forward for the past year. The truth is communication, when it's not done in person, you lose the intent and the emotion behind the voice. And when you're talking to somebody over a computer, it genericizes the conversation. Whereas if you're in the room with six people or eight people or frankly, a hundred people, you get the tone and the feel and the flavor for what's going on, all the unwritten communication, all the unsaid communication that you miss is a present and a part of the process. So for me personally, I want to bring the team back as soon as I can. As you notice, I'm a favor of working in the office. I recognize that not all 11,000 are going to come back on a full-time basis, but how you manage the business, it's a people business. It's people managing people. And if we're going to be effective, we need to do a lot more of in-person work compared to the way it's been for the past year. So if you notice, I artfully dodged. I'm not making a call on who gets to stay home and who doesn't. <laughs> we're still in the process. But I will tell you this, if you report to me, you don't get to stay at home. I assume your senior team's all been uh, vaccinated. So I, I hope you're able to get together and collaborate the way you used to. We do. And we're very careful. We're still distanced and we still wear masks in the hall. And if you haven't been vaccinated, then there's other precautions that you have to follow. But every day, more and more of our team is vaccinated as the age limits in each state continues to go down. And I start seeing people in the hallway that I never saw for nine months. And they're like, I have my vaccine. I'm ready to go back to work. There's an enormous number of people that are working at home that would just as soon come to the office. And clearly there's people at home that like to stay there. And we're working through what that means. But I can tell you from a planning and from a working with your colleague perspective, there's nothing that replaces getting together around a table, having a conversation and really getting to the bottom of what it is you're trying to get to. Or cornering Bill after a meeting to ask him the real important question. The hallway conversation has disappeared. The drive-by, that's what we call it here. You don't have any of that. And you're right. There's so much importance to just catching Frank in the cafeteria. 
or seeing somebody in the elevator and getting off the elevator and spending five more minutes following up on the conversation. You forget how much gets done in the cracks in the organization in between the official stuff that takes place. And you lose all that when you're at home. I'm going to loop us back to something you said about capturing pent up demand, because how are you going to do that? Are you going to do it with the same footprint you have now? Or is your physical and digital footprint going to have to look a little different to capture that efficiently and to meet evolving consumer needs? I keep telling my team, we have 50 hospitals and I'm not getting out of the hospital business. As a matter of fact, we're opening two this year, we're opening two next year, and we're opening two the year after that. And I'm trying to buy some actively. So I'm clear that as an organization, we are going to be incomplete unless we lean into our freestanding outpatient centers and our physician networks. And that's where we're ramping up. We know how to open a hospital and bring it up in a market. That's not my worry. My worry is making for sure that Advent Health is within 10 minutes of every human being in the market. From an urgent care perspective, a physician perspective, an imaging perspective, whatever it is, we need to be a part of a person's health and life. And we are working rapidly to expand our network, partner with physicians, and do things differently than we used to do them. Building on that and thinking about kind of serving different markets in different and unique ways, disparities in access and health equity were made so clear during the pandemic. Pre-pandemic, your providers were asking some pretty innovative questions of patients to try and really quickly zero in on some of those social determinants of health. How did that better prepare you for 2020 and how has maybe 2020 helped you evolve the ways in which you're connecting with patients on some of their social needs? People are more than the sum of their diagnosis. They're some of their thoughts, feelings, and beliefs. And we want to care for you as a whole person. In fact, our tagline is we want you to feel whole. If I'm going to treat you wholly, I have to treat your mental needs, your physical needs, as well as your spiritual needs. In our screenings, we have screened for spiritual care, questions around what's going on in your life from a love, joy, peace standpoint. In 2020, we have added what's going on with your mental health, both for our patients and our employees. Our, for our employees, we ran a fine is not fine campaign. When somebody says, how are you doing? I'm doing fine. Yeah, well, why don't you ask the next question? Anybody can tell you they're fine. What does that really mean? And then acquainting them with resources that we have for them from a mental health perspective. We've added spiritual screening. Now we've added mental health screening. Every day we have almost 100 calls into our e-spiritual care line. Every day we're having almost 50 calls into our e-mental health line. You can't imagine the number of people that we've screened that said, yes, in the last week I've considered suicide. And so we are leaning in to try to care for the whole person. So the outgrowth of that obviously is social determinants of health. Now, if I want to care for you as a whole person, then I need to take care of everybody that's coming in. And so we've our chief health equity officer is pulling apart our top 10 diagnoses across our organization. I want to know the answer to the question, do we really treat for example, Latino women differently, and in this diagnosis, differently than white women? Or do we really treat somebody that's over the age of 70 in this diagnosis differently than we treat everybody else? I want to pull apart our own information. I want to know, based upon our own data, what house I need to get in order in my own shop. And then I'll use our community health resources to help lean into our communities to help continue make for sure that we're caring for people the way we need to in the market. 
a great example of that is on spiritual care. We ask the questions, we have the follow-up. Now we have a whole initiative around faith communities in our marketplace and how we bring faith communities into the longitudinal care of people in the marketplace. Mental health's no different. We're asking the questions, we're referring people out. Now the question is, who do we have to work with both state and local-wise to make for sure that we're providing the right mental health resources to those that we serve in our market? And then social determinants of health is the same. I'm clear when we pull apart and parse our own data, we're going to find opportunities for improvement. We spend community benefit dollars every year doing special things in the marketplace that we think are making a difference. This is going to help us be much better prepared to deploy those dollars in a way that really move the bar to provide equity across how we provide that care to everyone in our market. Are there new metrics that you're tracking? Are the new metrics that the board's asking for? Are you kind of measuring yourself differently than you did before? The board is asking me the right questions, although we don't have the metrics that I would have outlined, meaning what have you learned about social determinants of health for the past year and a half that you would lean into differently? And then how are you going to measure that in the future? We have a mission conference in August where we invite our board and a variety of leaders across our 10 states in, and we do this every year. Our entire mission conference in August is focused on social determinants of health, what our plan is, how we're going to measure it, who we're going to work with, and how we're going to determine success. So we're being asked the right questions. We ourselves are asking the right questions. I don't always have the measurement tools off the top of my head, but I will tell you in this particular case, we will have a plan put together by our August mission conference. Terry, in the past year, we saw competitors collaborate in most states and most markets, particularly just to support the public health infrastructure. No different in your situation, I'm sure. Will that continue? Do you you think your role in the public health world continues, expands? It's been a challenge. This Friday, we have a vaccination site that we set up on Central Florida for Orange County. We'll probably do 3,000 vaccinations on Friday. We fund it. We pay for the site. We pay for the tents. We pay for the resources. And our willingness to participate with public health officials, both locally and at the state and national level, has always grown deep. And this has only strengthened those ties. And no, I don't see them backing off at all. And a slight twist on that one. I know, at least in Florida, you've worked directly with employers in the past. Do you see partnerships with employers expanding coming out of COVID? I actually do. And I think we'll be better prepared to do that work. We have a special relationship with several employers in town where we take risk for the health outcome of their employees. We're getting better at doing that. Their employees get better care. It costs the employer less money. Um, We're right dab in the middle of trying to help them rationalize care for their own employees. When you think about it, I have ever incentive to do it. We have 80,000 employees ourselves. And so applying the tools and resources that we would to our own teams, to other teams, is something that I view as our responsibility as we care for people in our market. Thanks for letting us jump around and cover so many different topics. And thanks for sharing the great story of the journey you've been on the last year and the exciting vision for where you can go. So, Terry, thank you so much for joining us today. Really appreciate it. Well, I appreciate the opportunity. So you guys take care. Hope things are going well for you and all the best. This has been another episode of SG2 Perspectives. If you like what you're hearing, please subscribe and don't forget to rate and review. We'd love to hear from you. Please connect with us on LinkedIn or Twitter at SG2 Healthcare. You can also reach us via email at sg2perspectives at sg2.com. Reach out and let us know what healthcare trends are most important to you. 
Please also listen and subscribe to our colleague, Dr. Tom Villanueva's Modern Practice Podcast on Vizian's Medical Leadership Channel. Tom discusses key healthcare trends through the clinical leadership lens. You can find it wherever you listen to podcasts. Thank you for listening.